and I rock non-stop with the Frisco crew, and suckers are losing, fucking with me, I catch a steel toe boot, and right to the jaw, my crew is straight raw, RBL, that's rivers by law, that's my motherfucking posse, and niggas wanna pop me, but stop me, pop me, and your hoe still drop me like a rabbit to a carrot, a dog to a bone, the big nine goose, I got it going down, cause hoes on a nut stack, my money stack is kinda fat, I didn't have to pull a jack to get where a nigga at, I laid down, stayed down, always kept a nine around, cause when you see a crack, dope is coming funny, browns tweaking, geeking, none of them is speaking, and when they come around, make sure they ain't sneaking right up on your back, you know they need crack, and they don't have no money, watch out for the jack, but the tables have turned, and your ass got burned, so punk motherfucker, there's a lesson to be learned. Yeah, Chris, you know niggas can't dig a pig, so won't you drop some more of that shit about these punk police out here in Frisco, know what I'm saying? Bust that shit. First two goes out to the police, fucking with me, now your ass got beef, so you started some static, you silly ass rabbit, jacking in my hood like a motherfucking bad habit, digging through my pockets like motherfucking dig dug, I guess I'm a nigga that you wanna get rid of, it seems that way, in my motherfucking hood, are you punk police, always up to no good, coming through sweating while we trying to get our girth on, fucking up a high sand, we're sitting in a drug zone, but you done did this the last time to me, see, now I'm gonna gather up my motherfucking posse, them crazy ass niggas, the crazy ass crew, them crazy motherfuckers with the steel toe boots, I'm getting my Matches, I'm grabbing my gasoline and blowing that police Take me to smithereens cause I don't play I'm strapped with my AK Sending you blue suit straight to your grave So police, you can burn, baby, burn Cause the tables have turned And you got on my last nurse Lessons and suggestions is what a nigga stressing So watch out cheap cause your boys got beat Check this motherfucking shit out Jumping over Mike is a nigga Mississippi Coming out of front is my posse standing on horror trying to sell all my crack sacks stress on my mind from thinking will I get jacked but if you still go to church cause ain't no fear in my heart I'm still yelling work niggas trying to run wild thinking they don't hit King too real get your gaffle in the midst getting cocked by the cops not knowing where you're going with a sack in your necks hoping it ain't sure to get thrown in a paddy wagon with all type of edges or some get killed in high speed chases now you sitting in court without giving up a fight got sent to the pen doing 10 to 25 thumb said ain't worth it but I gotta go check so my pockets won't be hurt so get back get back get back if you're real to the gang then you know I'm kicking facts yeah there's money to be earned but take notes of what you see cause it's a lesson to be learned bitch I thought you knew bitch I really thought you knew bitch I thought you knew bitch I really What's up, everybody? It's Schmitty. This is Talking Schmidt. And this one today is special. It's dedicated to anyone and everyone that's helped make San Francisco and the Bay a better place. 
You know, I got mad love for the 415, the black and orange. We got the Giants, Niners, Warriors, Steph Curry. We got Thrasher Magazine. We got the Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz. List goes on for days. The people are endless and uh, got a lot of pride here. All right. I've been holding it down in Hunter's Point Bayview at Thrasher Magazine for over 20 years. That's just mm, probably about 12 blocks from Harbor Road, where my next guest was born and raised. And this is Black Sea from the RBL Posse. But before we start, I got a few things we got to go over real quick. Uh, First of all, the show is brought to you by the good people at Manscaped. Support for Talking Schmidt is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, kids. It's the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. We're going to give you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code shout out at manscape.com. Just type in the code shout out and the rest is smooth sailing. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'll tell you this, I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. That's right, kids. Advanced skin safe technology. Now you can feel confident shaving those family jewels. Did I mention wireless charging? Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOUT OUT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SHOUT OUT. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Shout out. Also, we got a news break. Guess what city is the first in the state of New York to carry Talking Schmidt? Drumroll, please. It's Jamestown. Big love, Jamestown. I think you should have the box probably yesterday. So stoked to get some talking Schmidt out in the great state of New York. Also, we have a winner, Apex Discovery. Do do do. Right. All right. Thank you guys all for sending in your emails. Um. Let's see who the winner is. We're going to go into the box. We're going to go into the giveaway. Hey, Cheryl. 
Pick a number between one and ten. Seven. So I put the first ten entries in the email, and I asked my fiance to pick a number between one and ten. She has picked number seven. And the winner is Chris Tavares. Chris, you've just won this gun from Apex Recovery. Look for yours in the mail soon, my friend. And thank you all for playing. We'll have more giveaways soon. Head on over to your local shop and ask for Blood Wizard. If they're out, then you can tickety-tack on down to bloodwizard.com where you have all of your conjuring needs. How you guys doing out there anyway? Fourth of July was just a day or two ago, depending on when you uh, listen or watch this. Do you all have your limbs? You still able to see? Can you hear everything? Everybody's safe? Did you have a good time? We did it proper at EOA style with the bros. We had these big inflatable uh, air dancers. Great time. Shot some fireworks off the cliff into the ocean and just uh, had way too much food. All right. Enough of all this. Enough of all that. This one is. I can't even tell you how stoked I was when I got the. Yeah, I'm down to do an interview from this next guy. Um, I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed interviewing him and as much as I've enjoyed telling everybody that this is episode 122 with Black Sea. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. What's up? It's your boy Black Sea representing that 415 and you're sitting here with Talking Schmidt. Yes, sir. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn, isn't it? All big dogs in. Smitty. 96 times, Smitty. Thanks, Smitty. We on? Smitty. Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I be shit my pants. Glad. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's right. about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? He thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Smitty. What the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. Yeah! All right, everybody, I'm super excited. This week, I got the founder of the legendary rap group, RBL Posse. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Black Z. What's good, man? What it do, man? Just chilling, you know, that's all. Yeah, sick. I'm stoked. Thanks. Before we start, man, thank you so much for taking the time. It's uh, been a fan for a long time, so I'm hyped on this one for sure. Oh, for sure, man. Appreciate you having me. Were you born and raised in Hunter's Point, yeah? Yeah, born and raised right up there on Harbor Road, man. Came home to the 29. Well, actually, it was 27 Harbor Road uh, back then. My mom, two-bedroom. We ended up, uh, once they remodeled, we came back. We uh, swapped out with our neighbor for the three-bedroom, 29 Harbor. But, yeah, born and raised in Hunter's Point there every day. Were you born in the hospital in SF? Uh, actually, my mom had me in Berkeley. You know, she was out there in Oakland. Yeah, she was out there in Oakland at her mom's house. And uh, I guess her water bag broke when she was on the other side of the bridge. <laughs> so I was born in Alta Bates Hospital in Berkeley. 
I was okay. like, damn, all my brothers in them born in General Hospital or St. Luke's Hospital, and I'm the only one across in Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but you come from a large family, right? Right, right, yep, yep, a whole bunch of us, like 17 of us all together. Oh, damn. Yep. Damn, yeah. see, you got to party wherever you go. That was like on our skate rock trips. We had 20 people in two vans. It was like, we don't even need anybody to come out. We're, we got the crew. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, a lot of them, uh, half of them is way older than me. Some of them is almost my mom age or older, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, it's probably uh, me on down. I'm probably the oldest out of the younger siblings. Um, yeah, it's like about seven that's older than me and they like way older than me. We was like probably like 20 years apart, 15 to like 20 years apart. And then I'm the oldest going down from the younger ones going down. You know what I mean? So yeah, but we, we all stayed together. We was real tight, real close. Uh, all my sisters, brothers who up under me, even though some of the older ones, we, 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 we hang out, we, we real tough and, and tight, but the, from my age on down, we, we really tight. Okay, tight. Yeah. Um, so what was it like growing up in uh, Hunter's Point in the 90s and stuff? Like, what, what was it like out there? I, I, I moved, Thrasher moved there to 80, in 88, and I started working at Thrasher in 98. So I've been on Underwood since 98, but uh, okay. it was a little later. But I know in the beginning, I mean, I've seen, I've seen the progress and what's been going on, but back in the earlier time, what was it like down there? And I'm sure it was even harder. Yeah, yeah, well, up there on Harbor, uh, it was actually pretty cool in Hunter's Point. I mean, beside, aside from the gangbang and stuff that kicked off around 89, when I say from around 88 to about 890, because uh, the truce didn't happen until 91. But uh, it was it was pretty cool, you know? I mean, driving, going to the Bowling Alley, Castle Lane, hanging out. You know, we had our little th our third street is sort of like the Crenshaw over there. You drive your cars, your old school whips up and down the block, having fun, mm. water fights. I mean, it was a tight knit community up there. You know what I mean? I I I, I loved Hunters Point. It, it, I mean, there's so many memories, so many things to do being in San Francisco because you had the other sides. You had the Pier 39, all down Pacific Heights, all that stuff. You know, we going to the Cow Palace, going to sneaking into events up there. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it was a ball. I had I had a lot of fun in San Francisco during the 90s, especially once the music kicked in in 92, 91. I would say, no, not 90, actually. When I got out of Log Cabin Ranch in 89, around 90 is when I started getting my equipment and um, started pretty much trying to produce. And that just 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 created a whole nother scene for me, you know. But uh right. Yeah, it was real. It was it was dope, man. I, I love the city, man. It was a whole lot to do around there. You know, I, I can't remember being bored at all. Mm. Mm -hmm. Was the hood on fire in the 80s when the Niners were fucking, I mean, you candle sticks right there. Like, what was oh, yeah. that like? Yeah, that was crazy because we used to, when they, I know when they won the Super Bowl, Man, we went down to Broadway, man. It's a street called Broadway out there, man. And Juiz just, man, it was just crazy. And I, we was real young, too, man. I can't remember how old I was. I was probably 15, 16, something way around there. But, I mean, we was doing the food down there on Broadway, having a ball up all night, partying, 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 man. Everybody together. I don't care what color, nationality, whatever you was. 
all just enjoying life, enjoying the championship together. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. Hell yeah. Uh, did you guys have like some ends? Were, did, did you, were you in the neighborhood enough that you could figure out a way to sneak into games at all? Or were you guys going to camp? Nah, well, we had a bunch of dudes who used to be uh, scalpers. We had tickets. So we wanted to get, we also knew people at the gates too. So I don't ever remember even plan, paying for a, a 49er or a Giants game, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I always had some type of connect to where, you know, a bunch of our friends was out there selling tickets or we had people who worked at the gates. And then we also knew little spots you can go in through the gates where they can bend open and you can get in, you know, in the, in the back of the uh, candlestick park. So it was always ways to get in. I don't ever remember paying, though, to be honest with you, ever having a ticket unless I got it from one of my scalper partners who was out there, you know, moving and grooving, getting their money. Right. But, uh, yeah, we always had access to it. I never really cared about going to games. I went there, went a couple times just for the experience, just to just be in there. Mm. But I used to just hate because I used to want to see, I liked it, the close-ups. I liked listening to the uh, the broadcasters talking about it. I liked to see the- The, the uh, instant replay. replay. Yeah, all that stuff. It's like, you sitting there, you can't see what happened. You hear everybody go, ooh, you be like, what, was it a fumble? What happened? You, you're trying to look inside the, 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 the crowd of people, you know, the, the players when they, you know, something that happened, you really can't see. So you're looking at the big Teletron, the little camera, I mean, a uh, big screen up there. Mm. And the screen, sometimes if the sun's shining on it, you couldn't even see that. So it, it wasn't even really worth it. I, I'd rather stay at home and watch the game. But, yeah. I, you know, I went for the experience a couple times. Just like I said, I was down there. It was free. So I'd go in, eat, hang out. But, yeah, I was pissed off, though. Couldn't see anything. Yeah. I. For me, I like going to baseball games, but football, I'm way more into watching on TV for sure. It's really hard to get the whole vibe from the stands. Right, uh, right. You mentioned the log cabin ranch. What is that like juvenile hall or something? What is that? I don't know that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Log cabin is, um, yeah, it's a, it's a year program. It's a juvenile facility, uh, juvenile detention facility where they send you after you get sentenced. You know, it's sort of like, uh, I ain't going to say it's like a, like how if you go to the county and then you end up going to the penitentiary, you know, they send you somewhere to actually do your time. Yeah. That's what Log Cabin Ranch was. It was uh it was a ranch for it was a boys ranch for uh you know like for, under uh, 18. Under your yeah, 18 and under kids. And it was a year program. You'd be up there for about a year and then you go to like a halfway house afterwards and do another 90 days and then you out pretty much out the program. And you uh you was good up there. If you did the uh, program, did everything you're supposed to do as far as cleaning up and all that type of stuff, then what they do is they let you have home passes after 90 days. So you come home from oh. Friday to Sunday right. and have to go back up there. So, so yeah, it was um, pretty much uh, like a year program that I got that I ended up getting to uh, based on the fact that I, I, I had a good lawyer, man. I ended up... Uh, Man, shout out to my lawyer because I was I would have definitely been uh sitting down probably for about three years, you know, because I got caught with a bunch of stuff, bunch of guns, man, like about man, I know uh it, it was about a little over 10 of them I got caught with plus some drugs. And yeah, I ended up spending that money for that lawyer. And he ended up him and a few of the uh community activists like Thomas Mayfield, Lefty Gordon, a lot of the dudes, they was uh they was uh like real staples in our community who who you know they 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 remember me from being young playing twelve and under uh, flag football basketball you know getting a bunch of trophies from playing football because I was uh really into uh, sports when I was younger and um yeah they they 
they came and talked up for me with my lawyer and uh yeah the judge gave me a shot you know like, you know i'm gonna give you one more shot and and let you go do this year program but uh don't you any problems at the ranch you're going straight off to the youth authority to ya which i was supposed to be going to i was supposed to be going to carl houghton youth authority but um yeah he gave me that shot and i aced that program didn't have no write-ups no problems at all while i was up there nice yep. while you were there did you like have some time to think about life in general and did that kind of spark like i want to get into something like did that help you start thinking about getting into the rap world like how did you kind of yeah transfer over to rbl and all that well yeah that definitely helped what it was is um being up there, man, yeah, I had a lot of time to reflect. And, you know, you're up there with, with guys all day. You ain't got nothing but time to think because you there's nothing to do. If you ain't in school, after school, you're sitting around all day. Just on, We call it the blacktop, where it's basketball courts and kickball area, weight room. You're hanging out up there, and all you can do is just think about what you want to do. You know, when you get that idle time, that's all you do is think, 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 think. So while up there thinking – you know, I end up, um, you know, listening to music, listening to 415, you know, d Loke and a lot of them, listening to Cool Nut and them, just like really listening to music and a lot of the dudes from uh, Lakeview, my boy NT and them coming back up there telling us stories about how he was on his home pass. He was out there with Cool Nut and them and all that. You know, I just started thinking like, man, I got to get my stuff together. And what really made me... uh really get it together is when they uh they swooped up one of my, my partners who i used to be with every day and put a murder on him and said that he killed this dude out of sunnydale and they was trying to say that i was there at the time they came up to log cabin ranch uh homicide and came and talked to me and said man you know your van was there at this shooting along with your boy's car both of y'all pulled up and killed him and this and i was like bro I, on that date i was in juvenile at the time fighting this case that i'm up in here serving this time for and they checked and it, and it panned out that I was in juvenile. So they, they couldn't really do nothing about it. And uh, they actually shipped my boy off. He ended up losing the case and got 25 to life. He ended up beating it later on. He came home after 14 years and sued him, got paid the whole nine, you know, but, but they wiped, he didn't, he didn't see none of the nineties. He was gone pretty wow. much from uh, 89 all the way until like 2003, he came home, 2003, 2004, mm. you know, my best friend I was with. So in the, in the way the ranch was a blessing to me <laughs> that I was there, cause I'd be still, I'd have been sitting there with him, you right. know, gone would have missed all the nineties myself, probably would have never did the music. And uh, ain't no telling where, man, I would be at, even though they, they paid him a little bit, but it just wasn't worth all that time he missed and the time he was gone. They gave him a couple million for the, you know, I guess they pay him uh, so much a day for the days that he was gone. They kind of calculated it or whatever. Uh, you know, he's living pretty good now, but, you know, it was stressful. He could have got killed up in there. You know, there was a bunch of gang wars stuff going on, you know, mm -hmm. Mexicans against blacks, Crips and Bloods. And it, and it was just, a, you know, being in there for something you didn't do, man, you could have just had ran into any problem or you could have got shanked or stabbed or anything. You know what I mean? And yeah, it was just crazy. But yeah, that gave me time to think about all that. That that definitely made me think, man, I, you know, they can send you off anytime for something you didn't do. Right. Did you do any writing in there, like lyric wise or not yet? Nah, not yet. I wasn't even in thinking about music. The only music I was thinking about is playing it. You know, like I said, I was up there playing 415, Cool Nut, the Ghetto Boys at the time. It was like we was 
playing a lot of that, but I wasn't thinking about music. I was more on some starstruck stuff, like wild that my boys was coming back saying that they was hanging out with Coognut. Like, man, yeah, we was out at Coognut at Sundial Park, and he was rapping and letting us hear some of his new stuff. And and I was just like, wow, man, I can't wait to get my home pass. We had to go home and see some things. But I've been in this juvenile because I was fighting the case for about uh, about six months to almost a year just in there just fighting it and then I ended up getting sentenced to a year so I was gone for probably about a year and a half to almost two years so yeah it was just like man I couldn't wait and that was my first time I was young too and that was a long time for me that you know I'll be tripping off my dudes be like yeah they got sentenced to three years or five years or seven years of that too whooped me I just was like oh man yeah I, I can't I ain't no way in the world I could sit down for 10 or five let me go and get my shit together. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what was the what was the spark that got you like you started doing beats first, right? Right, right. What I what happened was uh when I got out, uh, you know, I had a few dollars. My my friend, uh, one of my homies from the block, his name is Buttweiser. He ended up asking me to invest into some equipment. You know, I had a few dollars, had some money. So he was just like, bro, won't you buy some equipment, you know, support me? buy some equipment and, um, you know, let me run it. Let me, you know, put the, put an album together. And he had already had an album out uh, that was called Life as a Nigga. It was a uh, Budweiser and DeRace. And he had a song that was a pretty big song locally in San Francisco called Darling, Darling Baby that he, uh, he did. I think it was the uh, OJ sample. pretty good it was like a two three song little sort of like little maxi single ep mm. and uh he did that and uh so i knew i, I mean on both wise i knew that he he was gonna use the equipment he was gonna work so i was like you know what i got to lose there ain't nothing else going on let's go buy the equipment we went and bought the equipment and uh yeah that's when i got bit with the bug once i got in there and started messing with the equipment we had this dude named double b who said he knew how to run the equipment but once i got it he didn't know what he was doing <laughs> so I started tinkering with it and I ended up learning it after about a week. I knew how to program the drum machine. I, I started knowing how to work the full track. Uh, you know, I understood all the, the control, uh, the controls on the full track, how to do the pitching up, pitching down, speeding up albums when you want to sample it, speed it up to get more seconds in and then you detune it to get it back on track so you have more time because samplers then only had like 2.5 seconds. So if you wanted to 
eight bar sample, you had to speed it up, you know what I mean? Really fast and sample it and then slow it down. Then you got way more than two. You actually squeeze in about five seconds into 2.5. So okay. it, it was like little trick, uh, uh, tricks and techniques. I learned just messing around with it. And uh, yeah, I started just doing a whole bunch of beats for, for uh, him, my brother, Dre, Dre hype, who my hype man, who will be out there on the road with me doing a lot of Mr. C stuff. Him and uh, T. Low, T. Low was another guy who came out on Black Power Productions on Herm Lou, who did our intros. He put out a guy named T. Low, and uh, yeah, we it, it just it cracked off from there, and yeah, I ended up getting into writing after that. Do you remember what the actual machine was that that you started with the first? Yeah, it was actually a a Roland uh, Doctor Rhythm bass mach- uh, drum machine. It was called Doctor Rhythm. And uh, I had a Yamaha full track. I had a regular little, oh, it was like a, a Casio keyboard. My first keyboard was like a little cheap Radio Shack keyboard that really wasn't about nothing. Then I ended up upgrading, getting me another one. It was, I got a, a, a Kawaii, um, oh, I forgot the name. It was a, it was a Kawaii something. Um, I forgot the name, a Kawaii X3 something. It was something, but it had a bunch of sounds and it was nice. It was way better than the, the little Casio that I had because the Casio really didn't have no weight. It didn't have no weighted keys. And you could tell it was built cheap, real light, you know, And um, but it worked at the time. People loved the music I was getting up out of it and I had an SB-12. I ended up going to go get an SB-12. SB-12, okay. SB-1200, I forgot the sampler. Uh, which one, whichever one was first. I didn't have one in so long. I, can't, I think it was the SB-12 that was the first, original first one. But you used that stuff for like the first album, like some of that stuff was used for that. Yeah. Well, the samples um, was uh, made on there, but I couldn't get a lot of the loops in. So what I did was when I went to TC studio, I met TC when I got down to his studio. He had uh, the sampler called the Emacs and that had like 30 some seconds on it, 28 seconds, something like that. And uh, what I did was uh, like I had more like an orgy sample but I had a little bit, little bitty part of it just looping. And what he was able to do, he was able to take the intro more like an orgy from the black hole, the theme, the black hole theory from Funkadelic. And he was able to put place that on the front of my song. We was able to do breaks, bring in other samples. So I was like a little kid in the candy store once we got it, got it up and got it going. It was just like, oh, wow, okay, we can just stack pile samples on top of samples. And you notice on my first album, I was just like, I went kind of crazy with it. I started trying to be like Dr. Dre and NWA <laughs> and the way just trying to make it more just like a, 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 a fucking action movie, like an action scene where it's just like I got salt and pepper coming in on top of a third base sample with Ohio players coming in. It was just... I went crazy, or I might have Brass Monkey coming in uh, from the Beastie Boys on, yeah. on top of uh, Soft and Wet by Keep Sweat, I mean by uh, Prince. So, yeah, I, I went crazy with it, man, because uh, I was just so happy to just be able to sample and be able to loop the, the ideas that I had, you know, because I couldn't do it at home. I only was working with four tracks, and the sampler didn't have that much sample time. So, okay. Yeah. Back then, was there like an allocated time that you're allowed to use somebody else's music? Like you could use like two and a half seconds, anything over that you're paying or, or was there not even that rules yet? Well, it wasn't even those rules yet because uh, I didn't think people didn't start getting hit up until like the nineties later on in the nineties, probably like 
early to mid nineties, that's when you started hearing about, Oh, James Brown estate suing such and such, or, you yeah. know, George Clinton and them uh, publishing companies seeking, you know, damages or royalties from it. You know, that came later on when I first got in, they weren't even talking about you paying. You just a sample, whatever you want to sample and use it. It wasn't, right. nothing, it wasn't about no clearance or nothing that about uh, nothing like that. So I don't know. Okay. Um, that came later on. That they tore us up later on too. It, it it got with us. It man, all them samples we had, I, it was hard to get them cleared, and that's what withheld a lot of our payments too on our first album. We barely even got paid for that. Okay, so that kind of steer your direction, like we got to use less samples in the future. Yeah, that's where that's <laughs> where Ruthless by Law, the second album, came from. All originals. We had a couple samples on there, but even then, we played over. We're, like, we're going to use an interpolation of it instead of actually having using the whole sample. Nah, no, no. So we're going to play all original music and mm. whatever sample that we do like, we're going to play it over and change it up a little bit. That's mm-hmm. what's sick when you like establish yourself. You can go back and sample your own shit. Like by your third album, you're sampling your first album and it's like right. all in the family. Like we got this. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That, that's exactly that. right. And then is it true you guys wouldn't be RBL Posse if it was for EAPMD, like you were originally named Hit Squad, but then yeah, you realized the they squad. had it going too? Exactly. Yeah, we was called the Hit Squad. And uh, yeah, as soon as we seen uh, Eric D and uh, and uh, our EPMD, period, had another squad called the Hit Squad, we were just like, oh, man, we got to change the name. Thank God we didn't write too many songs with Hit Squad in it. You know, we only had the Hit Squad New Jack song that Mr. C made. Hmm. Once we seen that, it was like right before we went into uh, TC studio and started to record. We mm-hmm. was able to swoop it up and swap it out. Like, man, you know what? We're going to just be RBL. Yeah. Okay. So what was up with TC? Was he kind of like he was an experienced dude that people were coming to because he already had his finger on the pulse or what was up yeah, with that? TC was uh he was like our Dr. Dre over there, man. TC was dealing with dibbling, dibbling, dabbling with any group that was around there. And that was because everybody was following Coognut. You know, Coognut was already out. He had uh tapes, cassettes at the time. That was the only thing out. He had cassettes out. So you gonna go, you know, to where you see the guy with the experience is going to. So, you know, we seeing him. Because everybody used to think like you had to go to Hollywood, L.A. or somewhere to put out a cassette. Hmm. You know, it was like you had to be big, like too short or somebody, you know, to get a cassette. So when we seen we know somebody that actually reachable and we could touch and he's here every day. Where you doing your music at? What studio you going to to get this quality? Uh, Excuse me. How are you pressing up these uh, cassettes? So we just followed what he was doing. So that's how we ended up ended up at TC. He was an engineer for uh, Coognut stuff. He the one did the two, the, the two, all the earlier Coognut stuff over there at uh, uh, I, I believe it was, uh, was it Bankroll. I think it was Bankroll Studios. I did believe that was the name of it. And when it was in Lakeview, and oh, then Lakeview. yeah, it was over in Lakeview off of Ocean. And um, TC, one the day I met him, he was like, "Yeah, man, we about to pack up. We about to shut this studio down. I'm about to move all my stuff to into my house." And I was just like, "Oh, man, where your house at? Where you live at?" He was like, "Yeah, I'll stay right in Hunters Point, right over there on Shafter." When I'm like, "Oh shit, you right down the street?" I'm like, "Oh, hey, that's cool." Like, man, he's like, "Yeah," he said, "Just give me a week to get everything wired up, and you know, then I'm gonna start booking studio time." Uh-huh. So after about a week, went down there and seen him. 
it was off to the races. We was over there up under the TC every day. And anything I brought in there, he knew how to chop it. And I didn't realize how good he was at the time when I was having TC chop up because I bring anything. I, I I didn't know that you had to work with all that pitch control and know how to, because, you know, sir, a lot of them samples was different uh, tempos, beat per, beats per minute, BPM. So mm-hmm. I might bring in a soft and wet print sample that might be at 120 BPM. And I might bring in a brass monkey from Beastie Boys that might only be 100. But TC knew how to mesh them together and lock them in and I just thought you could sample and just put it over the top and it was going to work. I didn't realize, you it, you know, it, it, it took, it was a process. You know, like you had mm. to chop stuff up at the snares and man, he was, he's so, he's still raw to this day. It's a lot of stuff. I, I don't get how TC be doing it, but man, it was mad. I got mad love for TC. He is so dope when it comes to them samples, man. Oh, don't, totally insane album. I was going crazy listening to all the samples they had. Our album, Cool, nothing. Them. I was just like, wow. He's a uh, genius. Yeah. Sick. Uh, do you guys look at, because back then it, there was no digital computers and all that stuff that we have now. Uh, things have evolved. Is it, is it, it's obviously so much easier now. Do you look at it like uh, you don't even, because like, you know, growing up, we have this OG uh, mentality, like you don't even know what it was like in our day. Yeah, but yeah, for yeah. the rap it's community, <laughs> like it's you can just be like boop, 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 and then all of a sudden you got a fucking hit, like Garage I, Band or whatever, do yeah. some uh, digital shit. But uh, does he does he's still doing it like OG or is he oh, embracing? Nah, nah, nah. TC grew with the times. He yeah. pretty much like me too. You got to if not, yeah. you're your old dinosaur in your studio gonna shut down like so many studios I know out here. That, you know, Enhancer, even though he was trying to grow at the times, it, it just got a little hectic for Enhancer. He had to shut down because there wasn't enough money into it. You mm. know, man, Stan at Find A Way Studios, even him, he bought the big old SSL board. That was probably worth 200 and some thousand. But it got to the point where it's like, man, you damn near paying a mortgage for that board. And now everybody is just coming in with Fruity Loops or, or Reasons or, you know, just any type of little da whether it's logic or, or whatever, it's Cubase, and they just throwing stuff together in five minutes, and you find yourself using two tracks out that big old board. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, damn, I, ain't nobody tracking out no more. They mm. don't know about the time code. You used to have to take an hour just to put the empty, the time code on a, on a, on a two-inch or a half-inch reel and strike the reel. You got to strike the reel first. That's taking an hour out your time. Oh, yeah. And by the time, even to pull up mixes, oh, my God, like we didn't like a mix. It wasn't like you can go back to it and it's the same. You got to remember where all the levels was and we go to the patch bay and patch in all the the, the, the reverbs and all the, all the effects. Oh, man, it was so crazy back then. It's, it's so easy now because when you pull it up, it's exactly how you left it. You can go in and make little adjustments here and there. Yeah. I, mean, I like the new way of doing things. It's fast. It, it gets you in and out versus you taking five, six hours or two two sessions just to complete one song. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't mind it now. And and, and, and one five hour session, man, I'm I'm knocking out maybe three, four songs easy. Sick. You know. Okay. Um. So, y- I think the way I. I learned about it was you were kind of putting together your own shit and then you got introduced to Mr. C and Hitman and it was like you kind of had your own material and then it was like, ah, oh, let's just do a group thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened was I had a couple songs. I had a song called What About My Niggas? That was my very, very first song I tried and I named everybody in the neighborhood and it was off that You're a Customer Beat by EMP, EPMD. 
which mm. I ended up using later on on Lesson to Be Learned on the part Mr. C come in on. But I had a couple songs done already. I had more like an orgy. I had a lesson to be learned. I wouldn't call it a lesson to be learned at that time, but I I just had to rap and I was rapping on the uh, Sugar Hill Gang beat. And uh, I had Don't Give Me No Bammer Joint. And uh, what else did I have? Uh, I had Sort of Like a Psycho, but it wasn't. I, I just was rapping on the third bass. Uh, I forgot the beat. Uh, Step into the AM beat. Uh, I had that and I had wrote the song. So I had like those four songs. Plus I had a song called um, Can't Say a Nigga Gay from the West Bay. I had uh, a few that I didn't use that I that I ended up leaving off. But I, I got a little cold feet when it was time to actually go to TC Studio and actually do them and put them out. I just got a little nervous. I was just like, man, if it fell, people going to be laughing at me and pointing the finger at me like, bro, that shit flopped. Yeah, it didn't do good. So I wanted, and I me, I didn't feel like a rapper rapper at the time. I was more of a producer then. So okay. I was like, I got to get somebody who rapped to be the lead person. And I'm just going to add them to these songs. And I tried to get T-Lo and T-Lo just had excuse after excuse. Oh man, I'm doing this. I'm hustling. Uh, you know, I got other things to do. But it, it really wasn't like that. T-Lo was just hot at the time. because He was our neighborhood ice cube. He was so dope. And he didn't care about actually being in a group like that with me because he wanted, he had so many dudes who had money, little ballers, our neighborhood, little drug dealers or ballers who was getting their money who wanted to put him out. So he didn't care about being in a group, dang. So he ended up bringing Mr. C up there. And for sure enough, me and Mr. C clicked. You know, the first day he came in, he, he got right down to it. I put together a beat. He did the Hit Squad New Jack uh, song. And it blew me away. All the little, you know, the little slick lines he was saying, all the punch lines and metaphors he was using. Uh, and we was used to just rapping like Ice Cube and them back then. We wasn't like being slick and, and putting in the punch lines and metaphors like the East Coast guys was. Mr. C was on that type of hype. And that's what really made me uh, fall in love with him uh, lyrically. And um, yeah, he, he, uh, I just had the, I was like, bro, let's, let's go on and do the group thing. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go on and do it. And he was just like, yeah, whatever, you know? And even then I was still going to try to just have him on there as feet, a feature on a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to just sit on, trying to do my own thing coming out with black C. But then I start feeling like, man, if we did a group thing, groups is just, it's dope because you had 415, you had IMP, you know, all of them using, they initials, NWA, IMP. It was like the little three letter, three number thing going on. Yeah. So that's what we was going to do. We were just going to be RBL. But then when we took the pictures and we had, we had started taking the pictures early on before we even finished the album. So once we did that, it just looked like a posse. I was just like, oh, the, the, the album cover is looking dope with me and with all the homies on there. We just going to call it RBL Posse. But it was right. actually Ruthless by Law when T-Lo gave us the name. It was Ruthless by Law, but I shortened it to RBL. And then by the time we took the pictures, it became RBL Posse. And who are all those dudes on the, it's you and Mr. C, uh, Hitman, yeah. but there's a few other dudes on the Yeah, album. Hitman not on there. Hitman came, away on, came along later on. And he, Hitman never really was part of the group. Everybody thought he was, but we just left it left it like that because we feel it to help his sales. But Hitman never officially was in RBL. He was always a solo artist. You oh, know, okay. We was the Batman. He was our Robin. We were just trying to set him up to do his own thing. So we just added him on a couple songs on Ruthless by Law. But he wasn't around in 91, 92. Hitman came around in 94, like right before we worked on our album. We, oh, uh, okay. 
one of my young homies brought him through. It was just like, bro, I got this dude who rap. He dope as hell. He kind of got that, that that rap style, how you be saying lyrics and stuff and uh, dropping all them little metaphors and stuff like Mr. C. And uh, when he came around, yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, he dope. So we, we brought him in and got him on a couple songs while we was recording the second album. But he never was officially a part of the group. You know, we just had people think that. But, yeah, we never had him on the covers or, or did none of that. Now, he went around definitely for the first one. He was a little youngster, probably going to school somewhere, doing his thing. But he, huh. he came around on the second one. Even then, on the second album, he was really young when he came around. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then rapping about weed wasn't really like happening back there. Like maybe Cypress Hill was out. It was right around that area. But uh, was it it was kind Cypress of like a big deal to, to do Bama weed, right? Yeah, Cypress was out. And then you also had MC Pooh with fucking with Dank. OK, he was out. And um, I believe that was about it. It was only them two songs that I knew that was popular. But uh, yeah, we actually came in and actually had the first real weed weed anthem type song. But uh, yeah, that, uh, there was only two that was out. Cypress Hill had a couple songs. They was you know referring to weed, but um, they never nobody was actually saying weed actually like that. Even when MC Pool was like fucking with Dank, so uh -huh. you could slide that out. Dank could be anything, but we was actually like we don't smoke bunk weed. Period. You know, that he was yeah. one of the first to actually come like that. So, yeah. And that just became like an anthem. Like everybody's bumping that when it comes out, right? Oh man, it took off. Yeah, it took off like wildfire. As soon as we put it out, everybody went crazy about that. I couldn't believe all the cars that was coming up and down in our neighborhood, up and down the street, playing "Don't Give Me No Bammer Weed" and. And a host of other songs, G's by the one, two, threes. I mean, and I knew our music because I used that P funk clap with the re with the reverb clap together, and I could tell with the hi hats how I mixed them. I could tell our music anywhere. The windows could be rolled up, but I hear that clap and uh -huh. the hi hats going on. I was like, yeah, that's a, they playing our music. <laughs> a B R name C, and you gotta pause when you get to the D D for that. Deep for drink, but not deep for the dope that's stacking my bank. There's only two things that I smoke. A punk-ass nigga or a pipe full of endo. I like nothing but the real McCoy straight dank. Fuck a bammer joint. Don't give me no bammer weed. We don't smoke that shit in a SFC. Did you kind of feel like a little bit of celebrity status? Like, did when that came out, did it make you feel like, oh, people recognizing you more? And, get, yeah. and people probably thought you were rich or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, that came a little bit later. We were still up there on the block the whole first year, not really tripping, but we was loving that all the cars that we had to support. Well, really, we didn't know how big it got. We were just happy that they was, was bumping around in San Francisco, around our neighborhood. Then we started seeing that dudes from other uh, cities, uh, sets start coming through, Fillmore, Sunnydale, they, they playing it now. And then once we start traveling over, going to East Mount Mall over in, in Oakland and all that, you start rolling around in Oakland. You're like, hold on, man, they playing it over here. Like, man, that's our, that's our music. I'm like, man, that's our music. Like, yeah, I know our claps. And it just started, it, it just, man, that's when we start realizing, like, hold on, we got something now. It, it, this stuff is taking off. It's, it's about to be something. And then we start getting booked for shows. We got our first little couple shows. And after that, we, it, it was off to the races. We knew we had something then. Where was your first show? Do you remember? The very first show was at the Stone. Um, no way. Yeah, oh, Broadway. Broadway. Yep. Okay. Uh, the very first show that we did. Uh, 
I believe it was with um, Andre Nicotina. Was oh, it Andre shit. Nicotina? I think it was, yeah, it was Dre Dog at the time. Huh. And, and I believe it was uh, JT, the bigger figure them. I think they was all there. And um, who else? It was somebody else there. We had did that. And then we came back and opened up for Sir Mix a lot there at the Stone. So we was at the Stone like two, about three, two, three times. Nice. And then we went on, start doing shows in Seattle, going out to. Uh, uh, we lived in Detroit. Detroit loved us. Okay. Uh, man, Michigan, whether it was Flint, Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, I mean, man, Lansing. Uh, man, they they loved us out there. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's when we knew it, it was over with. Once we started getting booked and started seeing them them, them deposits coming in for them shows. <laughs> How did the uh, the beef in the neighborhoods affect your music? Like. You know, with uh, Fillmore, Hunters Point, Sunnydale, uh, all the different zones, there was fucking gnarly animosity, right? Yeah, but what I did was I stayed away from that on that first album. I, I knew I needed them. So I wasn't even finna come in there trying to bash them. That's why I came in on some like, you know, I'm going to represent Harbor Road where I'm from. I'm going to represent Hunters Point. But it's going to mainly be... Frisco is going to be dominant throughout the out the whole album. I wanted to make sure of that. That's why we changed Don't Give Me No Bammer Joint. We don't smoke that shit in Hunter's Point to Don't Give Me No Bammer Weed. We don't smoke that shit in the SFC because I knew I needed Frisco. Mm-hmm. And that meant I had to swallow my pride and try to reach out to Fillmore, reach out to a few dudes in Sunnydale or whatever, and squash the beef. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I did. I, I, I wasn't finna get on my album and just be just trying to make it predominantly Hunter's Point, Hunter's Point this, Hunter's Point that, because they're not going to play it. They don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, they want something they, they can be proud of. Now, Frisco, that's sort of like having a sports team. You know, all of us cheer for the for the Niners. All of us cheer for the Giants. And so I had to take that concept and think about that. Like, man, we got to be Frisco leaders. We got to, you know, represent now. Yeah, here and there, you're going to hear us say Harbor Road and the whole nine. But it's not going to just be just oversaturated with that. We got to make sure we got Frisco coming up in there, SFC, the whole nine. So that's right. what we did. And it worked. When we brought them dudes over there to squash the beef, they was with it. And they, they so, worked out so perfectly. Yeah. I mean, as a fan, like that IMP song, Frisco, mm. everybody's collaborating on it. You got Selsky, you got Nicotina, but you also got different neighborhoods coming in. And it's like, that's the city anthem for us. It's like, fuck yeah. You're my step who you ain't my friend, homes. Water paper front page, nigga Jim Jones. Just baptize the motherfucking yeah. enemy. Burning niggas like a motherfucking chimney. So take a shit while you and say God bless. The sick niggas get red in the SF. And outsiders don't run because I got you. Cracking motherfuckers open like lobster. Cut his motherfucking ass like a surgeon. Bust his mouth. Now you bleed like a bird. In the spark, you see the towers, what's stopping you? Lakeview, you see the M Dog Mafia. RBL motherfuckers out of HP Get the most food you might even see me Busting hoes and smoking on a coke joint yeah. Don't need to say my fucking name Cause you know my voice I'm fucking That's cool So there was no animosity at the show Like when you're playing with dudes from the Fillmore at the Stone Like everybody's getting along Or was it kind of Oh yeah, no, they was getting along Because we had just did the truce They came up to my neighborhood And we, we all shook hands, hung out and we was like, if anybody got any problems with anybody, this is the time right now to let it be known. Okay. You can fight one-on-one. And a lot right. of times when you single dudes out to fight one-on-one, they get real quiet. You know what I mean? They get real small in the back. You don't see them. You don't hear them. They ducking. 
But, you know, when it's a pack of them, yeah, they, gonna, they ain't going to mind jumping somebody, you know. But when you got a single amount, like, okay, you got a problem with this dude. You jumped him. You want to fight one-on-one? A lot of times they, oh, no, nah, I ain't got no problem. I'm good. I ain't tripping. Yeah, so that's what we did. A lot mm-hmm. of the factors from Filmo and from my neighborhood, we like, man, if y'all got problems, man, y'all can fight. You know, if not, we could have let it go right now. It's over with it. And that's exactly what happened. They, they let it go. It wasn't no problems. And then I got to ask, in the beginning of the G's by the one, two, three, mm-hmm. um, there's like a little, what's going on there? There's like a little yeah. soundbite before the song starts. It sounds like so much shit their pants or something. <sighs> Nigga, I ain't drunk. I made the beat when I was drunk, though. <sighs> I done fucked around and hooked Midtown up with Arbor Road. Uh, y'all don't know me? My name T.C. Yeah, that's that- T.C. getting drunk. He always get drunk. That's why, he, you know, he drinking on his 40-ounce because he's always been there. And, he, you know, he like, man, I done fucked around and hooked Midtown, Midtown up with Harbor Road. That's where uh, Ag Component is from, from Midtown out there, Menlo Park, EPA. Right in that area, and uh, yeah, they end up. Uh, TC was just letting it be known. Plus, he produced the beat. That was the only beat he had produced on the album. I produced everything else on the album, so he had to put his stamp on it, letting people know too. Like, you know, I to hook these dudes up, put them together. We finna make something happen out of this. So, yeah. how did you how did you meet Totally Insane at TC Studio? He was doing at something the with studio. them. Okay. Yeah, what happened was uh, we was in there working on our stuff. Um, and TC would play their stuff for us. Like we, when we coming in there waiting on our session to start, they'd be in there, Agapone and Mac Ten to be in there, and we'd be hearing their music. We'd be like, like that was a lot of motivation for ours. Like that's how I ended up coming with a lot of them samples. Like they helped that album, that first album get dope because I was hearing their stuff, and I'm like coming in there them, and I'll say Black Dynasty too out of Oakland. Mm-hmm. I'll come in there, and TC would be playing their stuff or finishing up their session. And when I hear they stuff, I was like, oh, shit, like, damn. Who, like, T, that, that's Stanley. Like, man, yeah, it's Ag Pone and them. That's the song we just made or this and that. And, and I was just like, man, okay, that's raw. So I go home and get to digging in the crates and get to trying to find me some samples to just throw together. So I was using that. That was that was fueling that fire of mine to, to make me really, like, step up as a producer because TC had they shit sounding raw. So... Uh, one day we came in there and um, he had the G's by the one, two, threes planted. The song, original song had didn't have me and Mr. C on it. It was Ag Capone, Mac 10. It was uh, Coognut and a rapper named Fly Mar. They was the four that was on there. So he took mm-hmm. Coognut out and Fly Mar off and put me and Mr. C on it and gave it to us. Because I was just like, bro, that, that beat is so... <laughs> oh, I was just like, man, I love that DLC sample one. Stepping up last, but a nigga not least. It's the black seat, nigga, suckers on peak. Warbio posse, lounge around and count cheese. Bitches on the dick, get a grip, cause you're howdy. Can't you understand it? Shit is simple and plain. My niggas in the house by the name of Insane. And the nigga TC, bitch, the niggas kinda clever. Hooked up the beat and had us niggas come together. We ain't got time for the niggas with the drama. I'll lay you across my lap and spank that ass like your mama. The big nine do stop drama clock duckets. So we can roll benzos, demons, not buckets. This goes to your host, too straight on the plot. Setting niggas up and trying to get in for his knots. 
scandalous ass bitches out there scheming like demons. You better get a grip for your ass kiss the semen. We already going through the maze, put by the white man. Then your black women want to give them a hand. I can give a fuck, I can still do a switch up. Switch up on a bitch quick, so hope crush your luck. I just better yet go get the millimeter. Setting niggas up, dirty hoe, I don't need ya. Then I'll kick back the city, counting my G's. RBL and insane, counting them one, two, three. Yeah, I was like, oh my, that's a bro, you, you done did it with this, bro, I said, man, you, is, oh, man, I got the hat at, and he yeah. said, man, it's yours, I was like, you see, he's like, man, it's yours, man, I'm gonna take them off, and it's gonna be y'all and totally insane, but TC uh-huh. know he played that on it for us on purpose, he knew we was gonna like it, and he knew we was gonna make that song better, because I think he was gonna go on, uh, I think it was, they was working, gonna save it for totally insane next album, which they had just dropped the album, so it was gonna be a while before that came out. And TC knew I was going to want that. As soon as I heard it, I was like, bro, I need that. And he was just like, it's y'all's. He took them off so fast, put us on it. And that just ended the album off. That was the last song made for that album, too. Oh, okay. Right at the end. And I said, T knew what he was doing. He played that when I came up in there. He knew I was going to want that beat because that beat came on. I was just like, me and Mr. C went crazy over that beat. <laughs> what? Like, oh, this is dope. And he like, yeah, his lyrics on it already. He said, you know, it's totally insane. It's such and such in the moment. We're like, for real? Let us hear it. He played it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that one. And, oh, uh, man. I ain't no joke. That's the other one. Those two are heavy rotation in the van mm-hmm. when we're traveling. Love. That's love. Um, what was your guys' relationship with, like, the East Bay and, like, Richmond, Oakland, and the, you know, E-40, Too Short, Mac Dre, these dudes over there? Was everyone getting along in the early days yeah, or what? Yeah, yeah, we was all cool, especially us and E-40 and them, man. We was, you know, we had a lot of mutual friends. So mm. 40 and them used to come over there to uh, Hunter's Point a lot. Him be legit and them. They used to mess with one of my OG partners, uh, OG Bubba Hamp. So we knew about them, and it was a... Uh, this uh, dude we call White Boy Mike, who stayed in Vallejo out there in Fairfield, who knew E-40 them. He used to be on Harbor Road with us all the time. Mm-hmm. And he, like, introduced us to their music before E-40 them blew up and became, came out before their first album. He was bringing us stuff over there in, like, 80, 88, 89. Like, we was hearing a lot of their stuff that they was finna come with, all that left side and all that the click-type earlier stuff we was hearing. So... Yeah, we had a good relationship coming up with E40 and them. As far as like a lot of the other ones, like from the Oakland and all that, we didn't really have no relationships, but we respected them. Like MC Pooh, Dangerous Dame, you know, Spice One being from Hayward, all that. Like we respected them, played their music, loved them, but it wasn't no relationship. We wasn't actually like actually had a relationship that we was talking, communicating, anything like that. 40 and them was a little bit different. Right. But uh, nah, Mac Dre and them too. Also, we was just. Mac Dre was just like a star to us because he was in love with that uh, radio in California living, the Mac, when the Mac was out, all that. We just used to bump them. We just thought they were stars because back then, you know, if you came out with a cassette, people looked at you as like a celebrity because it, it was you didn't know it was easy to do that. You can go press it up yourself. You thought you had to have a record label deal or something like that. So if you had a cassette back then, people respected it. Okay. T-Shirt would come to Hunter's Point, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. T-Shirt came over there through our, a lot of our partners. Like, uh, well, I had a partner named Fat Boo Boo who was out, who hung with T-Shirt and them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he had him come over there. He come over there slanging tapes and stuff. I used to see Short pull up right in our neighborhood, right in the middle of the projects. 
sang slang a couple cassettes and uh going about his way after that and that's why he in one of his songs that's why i sampled that i say what's up to my homies in hunter's point i use that on sort of like a psycho i sample too short because he's come over there all the time you know hanging out and it was love yeah now nah, we respect the short but like i said short was like up there he was a celebrity celebrity <laughs> like we looked at him as royalty you know what i mean in the bay area so mm-hmm. we weren't even thinking about rapping when he was doing his thing uh-huh. Like I said, I knew okay. it was able to. I knew it, I was able to do it once I seen people like Cool nutting them because you know, like I said, they was around a lot. They are you seen them a lot. We knew what studios they worked out of, so it was easy. They was accessible. Sure, it was a little bit different. He had pop in and out, and he was when he did pop through. He popped through with the rep, reputable, reputable dudes that was from our neighborhood who was really getting money. Yeah, and I was young then, so I'd just be like sitting there and I, you know, like, oh, that's the one that's seen Freaky Tales or, you know, stuff yeah. like that, and like just tripping out. And then, you know, later on when Rabbit Fote got with him, because Rabbit Fote was also staying over there in our neighborhood too. His mom stayed in our neighborhood. Hmm. He'll leave Fillmore, come over there and be over there a lot. So, yeah, we, mm-hmm. we hung out with Fote a lot. And once we seen that, he got accepted to the Dangerous Crew and was over there with Short. It was like, wow, okay, got something going. Both those guys separately have played a Thrasher Skater of the Year party for us, and it's been amazing. Um, when did skateboarding come into your world? Like, we had a vert ramp on Hudson Street in the back of this house that overlooked uh, the park in Hunter's uh-huh. Point. It was an abandoned house that, that was real big in the 80s for skaters. Like I said, Thrasher moved to Hunter's Point in 88 on Underwood. Were you aware of it at all in the 80s or 90s or not till later when they started using your music? Nah, until they started using my music and I started getting, uh, you know, licensing. People wanted me to license it for their, like, uh, DVDs or documentaries, you know. That's when I started knowing, like, oh, the skateboarder world, really, they they really fuck with us. Like, damn, like, you know, especially what really what it was was uh, FTC. Oh, okay. That's when I when I did the deal with them, and we put out a couple skateboards. We put out um, some T-shirts, and you know uh, the guy at FTC just kind of explained like, man, y'all they love y'all in the skateboarder world, bro. They like you just don't know, bro. They really, really man, skateboard to y'all, especially that first album. They they love it, and I was just like, for real. And that's when it just oh he, he opened my eyes to it and. You know, from there, we end up doing a deal with uh, Quartet Skateboards. Uh, it was another one we had did some with uh, Bell. I think it's Bell, one of them that we had did a few things where they gave us a bunch of stuff. Like, I, I, right now, I got a whole bunch of trucks and st- wheels and, all, I mean, all types of uh, boards, you know, little non-slip pads and all type of stuff I got right now in my, uh, in my thing with all my music memorabilia in the backyard. I got a whole bunch of stuff, man. They took care of it. Like, but now it's like my, the younger generation, my little nieces and nephews, and even my, my, uh, one of my youngest brothers, man, they skate. They, I mean, they, they raised like that. They, they do their thing, you know? Okay. Yeah. They, they definitely do their thing. And, uh, you know, I always was into it. I really got into, not into it as far as skating myself, but I like it. I started, you know, when uh, Tony Hawk is just the video games and, the X Games kind of, I was already into it. So by the time FTC and them came around, and, you know, Thrasher always was just a respected name that, you know, when you hear that name, you automatically know, you know, skateboards and stuff like that. So once um, 
you know, I started seeing, you know, uh, uh, Tony Hawks and, and, and dudes like that, watching the dudes, the BMX dudes all on, on X Games. That just opened me up to that world. And, mm. man, I, I'm so appreciative that they support it and they, they deal with us, man. That, uh, I mean, they kind of gave us that second win to where they introduced us to the newer generation, you know, to where, you know, I love that they skateboard, they skate to our music, man. It's, it's, it, it just worked out perfectly. Sick. Um yeah, I guess uh, when Mr. C, Hitman, they both die, how does that affect you and your music and your drive and everything? Uh, you put out an album called Last Man Standing. You literally are the last man standing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that period of your life? Like, I'm, I'm sure it's depressing and yeah. you're grieving and figuring out, like, what you're going to do next. Exactly. Yeah, no, I went through it... Uh... Yeah, it was one of those things where, um, you know, I, I just knew I had to uh, strap on my boots, man. I had to just hold my head up high and don't let, you know, a lot of them dudes who who was going against the grain and, and hating on Mr. C and our relationship, let them know. I, mean, I can't let them see me sweat. You know what I mean? So I had to get it together, slap myself back and, hey, wake up. Just get back, get back going, get back in the studio because I stopped producing beats. I had stopped. I mean, I think the last production I did was on NOA, a group I, I put out called NOH Mafia. I put them out in 96 right after Mr. C's death. They was like the last group I had produced for. And by the time 97 came around, it had really hit me that Mr. C was gone and that like, man, I got to make changes. I'm like, what am I going to do? It's like, fuck, it's not going to be the same no more. But talking to my mom and them, my family members, my brothers and them, you know, also speaking to Craig Callaman, who was at also the one that signed us at um, Atlantic Records. He was uh, actually the president, uh, the owner of Big Beat. Because uh, they was a subsidiary of Atlantic. They're the ones that signed us. And uh, once he got the president position at Atlantic, uh, he, he passed it, uh, Big Beat on to Mike Karen. It, it, it kind of... That was a uh, motivation too when he called me like, man, you know, I know you the one that you the man behind the music, you produced it. And he the one was just like, you know, you don't actually have to have Hitman feel Mr. C shoes, but won't you, you know, just have Hitman, you know, kind of get in a group with you and do do the uh, the album and you know, we see where it go. You know, we get y'all two mandatory albums, three options. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And you know, that was motivation for me. You know, at that time, you know, I, I just was like, all right, let's do it, you know, but I just couldn't produce anything. So that's when we went and seen Rick Rock and uh, that relationship, too, just was like, was just, man, was like a whole nother chapter, you know, to where Rick Rock came through for us. It wasn't the same RBL vibe, but it was, it was a vibe. It was, you know, we had a whole nother vibe getting with Mystical and, and Big Lurch and them and doing the first single, getting with dudes like MCA, Tila, Richie Rich. We really wasn't into doing features. Even to right now to this day, I really don't care about doing features unless it's like something organic to where it's like I got a relationship with you and we in a studio and it's like it's just something that just feels necessary. Like we got we just need to do this. But just going out and like, yeah, let me put him on this song because he could help his sale or I want to get his fan base. I, I just don't like stuff like that. I, I got to work with you because I like you because I think it's, it's a good song for uh, both of us. That's why a lot mm. of my features, even on my last album, Still Ruthless, 
I worked with dudes who I always appreciated in the game who from my era, from Sebo and Marvelous to uh, Messy Marv. Uh, I got Be Legit. I got E-40 on there. Uh, even uh, people was tripping off that I had a little uh, uh, bleed on there that um, it was on e, uh, not E-40, uh, Master P's label, Young Bleed. And uh, the one who was on How You Do That there, he, you know, doing a song with him. There was people who I'm actually into. I, I didn't care if they was hot or not. It's just something I wanted to do. Mac Maul was on the album, too. Me and him did another single. I had Andre Nicotina on there. So, you know, I got everybody from my era and also just rappers who I just appreciated. Them, you know what I mean? So if it, if it don't work like that, I just it just don't work for me. man. I, I, I just just can't do it, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah, Makes sense. I, it was motivation, though, doing that album. And, uh, you know, even after the passing of Hitman, I was already pretty much prepared for that because I started kind of just doing solos. I got, like I said, I was working on The Last Man Standing. That was my first solo debut. I wanted to make sure that was right. And I, I started getting back in my pocket after that. So, you know, by the time I did, we do, lost Hitman. He was kind of wasn't in the studio as much. He was gone hanging out with my brother, and they was working on a whole nother album away from our studio. So I, I already kind of was prepared as far as uh, career-wise to move forward, you know, solo. Did that kind of influence you to move out of the city as well, or was that already in the plans? Well, that was already in the plans. I was buying my house in 95 right before Mr. C died because a Hitman album had dropped. And it did so good. We had sold probably like 50, 60, 70,000 units out the gate. It just like his 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 album took off sort of like our first album. It just, I'm talking about just crazy. Walter, like I need 5,000. He went from needing 5,000. Well, I'll take 2,000 units. We pressed up maybe 5,000. He's like, I'll take 2,000 and see how I go. I don't want to take too many. We left those on consignment uh, at about like $10, $11 a piece. By the time... He ordered that second order. He was asking for ten thousand. He was like, "Man, what, what do you want to do COD?" And I was just like, "Yeah, I'm like COD, man. Let's come up with a number on COD, and we can do it like that." Walter seen that it was starting to take off, and that was smart because he ended up getting like half price off. He started giving me five dollars a CD, and all I had to do was drop him off, get the check from him, and I go press up some more. So he order ten, and he order another ten, and he order five, and he order another ten. It just didn't stop it until it got up to a little over like 150,000 units. And, uh, you know, I made so much money by then. I ended up like, man, let me go buy a house. So I ended up uh, start going out to uh, San Pablo looking for a house over in the Richmond area. And my manager ended up telling me about Antioch. Like, man, that's a, it's going to be a thriving community. They're building out there. The houses is way cheaper. They're way bigger. They're newer than these houses you're looking at. These houses are old. You know, you buying from to buy a house for like four hundred and some thousand. That's only eighteen hundred square feet, or you know, nineteen hundred square. You like, man, they got houses out there three thousand square feet. Twenty, which I didn't know what he, what, he, what he was talking. About. I didn't care about the square footage at the time and the projects. I'm like, man, them houses I was looking at looked big to me. <laughs> but then yeah. we came to Antioch, and I seen these houses for starting at, in the one twenties and going up to one six. It was like the, from the one twenties to the two twenties. And uh, yeah, I ended up landing at this house right here for 169, man, five bedroom, 3,000 square feet, super oh. crazy backyard, a backyard almost like a football field. I was just like, wow. <laughs> it's like, man. And he was like, I told you. So before oh. I can even get the paperwork done and uh, get everything going, Mr. C got killed. 
and it delayed everything. So, yeah, I was just planning on getting out here and putting my mom and them out here, but I was going to still be out there in the projects. But once that happened, I was just like, you know what? We leaving the projects for good. They can have this. These dudes are super disrespectful. You know, it ain't no love. And I grew up with them. That's why it was one of those things where I was more, my feelings was hurt due to the disrespect because I only knew Mr. C at the time, like four to five years. And these dudes that had supposed to have something to do with it and was involved, I have been knowing for over 20. So, you know, it, they wouldn't ever did that to me, but it's the fact that they waited till I left and went behind my back and snaked him and killed Mr. C. So, you know, then people was keeping it on the hush. They didn't, nobody wanted to talk. Everybody act like they didn't know what was on. So I was just like, you know what? That's cool. I ain't going to enjoy none of this success that I'm going to have moving forward. You know, I ain't too much ripping off of doing nothing to y'all. But what I'm going to do is cut y'all the hell off. So that's what mm-hmm. I did. Moved on. Mm-hmm. Fucking heavy. What was that like? One of the heaviest things like you've been shot at, you lost your eye, you've lost some friends, you've done some time, whatever. Like, what was the most impactful? What was the heaviest thing? That was it. Just to see that was the heaviest. And I done lost some friends, man. But Mr. C was just different, man, because even though it was only like five years, I was with him every day. You know what I mean? It's like every day, like eat, sleep, drinking together, laughing together, going on the road, spending the night together. Like that five years felt like 20, you know, because we was with each other every day, every single day, whether it was listening to beats, laughing, joking, uh, going out on the road. I mean, the dude was just hella funny. And it was a ladies man. And he brought that, that, that happy up-tempo vibe to RBS. So I said, when Mr. C died, we lost the females because I was more of that gangster hard, street cred vibe and mr c was more that player you know rap for the females want to make songs like remind me and stuff like that so it was it was different you know once we lost him i didn't try to cater to the females and make them songs all i'm thinking about is gangster shit to to, to go at these dudes with you know i'm talking about Mm -hmm. taking off heads and stuff like that see mr Mm -hmm. c know how to like brain that we had them gangster vibes going on but it was just I don't know that RBL just had a little bit of that up tempo. It was different with Mr. C, you know, even the type of stuff he added to the hooks and the samples that he might come with for the hooks was just different. We lost that. And uh, yeah, that was, that hurt, man. And it just, it just changed the whole trajectory of our career, just of my career to where it was just like, damn, Mr. C was here, man. Ain't no telling where we would have deal with that Atlantic deal. I know for surely, for surely we would have blew the hell up. We would have blew up because it wouldn't have been that eye for an eye album where I'm coming in on some revenge shit, mad mm-hmm. at everybody, it would have mm-hmm. been more of a party RBL vibe upgraded, just like how the first one came out was nice. The second one was even different, but still nice. That third one was going to be crazy. It was mm-hmm. going to be crazy because I would have still been producing. We would have had a budget. I would have been able to pull a TC and Hanser and them in. We would have had a nice budget to we would have had everybody able to focus on that project, make it big. And we probably would have dabbled with a couple features like an E-40 or somebody locally, all local talent, probably like E-40 and Two Shorts, you know, people that we looked up to. And we probably would have went out a little bit because uh, even when I got with Atlantic, they had they roster to where it was like, you know, at our disposal. He was like, you know, whoever you want, who you want that's on Atlantic Records as far as features. And, and at the time, I didn't really care about it. I didn't even think about using none of that stuff to our advantage. They had the Fat Joes and... T.I. was, I think, just coming on the scene. 
I think at the time, I don't even think Aaliyah was dead. I, I think she was signed to Atlantic or something like that because I remember her name coming up. And I just didn't even care. I was just like, man, I, my mind was just so gone on this losing Mississippi. I wasn't even focused on really trying to make a, a, a just a, a just a big album, just something that can go platinum. I was just pretty much just trying to get the, get it done so I can get the balance on my budget. To be honest with you, she's mm-hmm. like, man, let me finish my studio. Let me get this budget back. You know, put this album together, get the money back from my budget, so I could finish the studio off that I'm trying to build in my garage. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been, man, it was just, cool. I just think about how, man, how it would have been if Mississippi was here, man, it would have been crazy right now. Damn. Are you sitting on anything you guys never dropped? Not everything we did, we used, you know, yeah. I, had a, uh, I had like one or two verses that was on some unpopular rappers albums that really never really came out, but. I just was like, man, you know what? I'm not even finna use it. It wasn't like him, because me and him only worked on stuff when it was time to work. We didn't think about stacking up. So even right now, I don't have anything laying around of myself. You know, <laughs> he's mm-hmm. like, when I was time to go to work, boom, I go in there, I might knock out 20 songs, and I use it all. The stuff I don't use, I might send it to a compilation, send it, sell it to somebody who may be working on the soundtrack or working on this or that or whatever. I might give it to them. But I don't ever have stuff just laying around. Hitman was the only one I had a catalog of a few things that was laying around because he worked, worked, worked constantly. He, he didn't mind rapping and just doing songs with everybody in the studio. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of work from him. It's still stuff that I didn't even release yet from Hitman. That uh, It was an album that he did with Motor Hustler from um, NOH Mafia. And a group was called Critical Click. And they got about six, seven songs. I didn't even use them verses yet. I was thinking about putting them on this album, you know, chopping some of the songs up. I mean, the verses up. But even then, I was just like, uh, you know, I don't want to, I ain't going to try to stretch it out. You know, I put the what I had out. I'm going to leave that there, let it rest, and just move forward with All my right. solo. Keep it, just keep that going. Okay. Um, I just got a f- couple more things I wanted to see if you would be down to, I got a few names and I wanted to see if maybe you could tell a quick story or a quick description of each person. Mm-hmm. It's just like four or five dudes. Uh, the first being Kunut. Uh, why was he such an icon? Man, first out of Frisco, you know, he was animated, his voice. Man, it was, he, I mean, just Frisco legend, man. It's like, you can't say nothing bad about Kugnut, man. It's just icon, Frisco icon, period. Okay, what about Selsky? Selsky, that was my guy, man. You know, we kind of grew apart a little bit, but uh, creative, man. You know, that, that's my guy, man. He was a, a dude that was in the studio with me and Mr. C. Like, we had some fun, fun, fun times. Had a bunch of laughs, man. Mr. C. Def kind of, I don't know, we just, you know, after the stuff happened, he was kind of over there around the dudes that that supposedly had a, a something that had an involvement with Mr. C. Def, and that kind of ruined our relationship once we started hearing about him being over there. Hmm. It, it just kind of put a damper on our relationship, but, you know, creative man and uh you know we we good to this day though we don't hollered and talked and you know sorted out a few things we don't bumped heads a couple times where you know it could have been problems but we didn't let it explode you know i respect mm-hmm. he respect me as the big homie and 
you know, it's cool, man. That's my partner. I ain't got nothing too much nothing to say bad to say about Selsky, but he he definitely one of the hot. He was one of the hottest producers at one time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about Dre Dog, Andre Nicotina? That's my guy. You know what I mean? That's that's my guy right there, man. I got mad, mad, mad respect for him. And uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, we kind of helped him. And uh, he's helping to help me right now. You know, we helped him early on when we was hot, hot, hot at our peak. Jason uh, asked if he can uh, be on tour with us, be put in the van with us. And we was like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, yeah, that's our boy he from the city. Come on. And Dredaw got in the van and that kind of helped his career. And ever since then, he's been feeding that same fan base, hitting them same little circles, going around in them circles, them Santa Cruz's and up north to them uh, Seattle and Portland's and, you know, just tearing a whole little uh, north, north uh, uh, west up to the Midwest, like it just just going back, doing his thing, and he ain't never stopped. And, uh, you know, when I reach out to him and tell him, man, let me get on tour with you. Let me open up a few shows. I mean, there's no problem. You got black, you know, all you got to do is act. Come on, man, come on out here. And uh, he just got at me a couple of weeks ago. We about to put something together, man, and um, cool. get back out there. Yeah. God, do fuck yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think about modern era SF? Is it still the sucker free? Um, I wouldn't <laughs> say it's sucker free. It's a bunch of suckers now that's around, but it's just different now, bro. I don't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's sucker free, but uh, you know. I can say I'm sucker free. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm definitely uh, sucker free. What's the crew think about the Niners moving to Santa Clara? Do they still back them or was that weak? Yeah, yeah. Nah, we ain't going to never. That ain't nothing. That's a hop, skip, and a jump. We, it's still Frisco to us. Okay. You know, because all from here to San Jose, Santa Clara, all, all that rep Frisco hard. We rep uh, 49ers hard. So that's not a thing. It's still, they still San Francisco 49ers. It would have been different if they had changed their name to the Santa Clara 49ers. We'd have fell some type of way. As right. long as that SF logo is still on the side of that helmet, and that ain't no thing. We all we all won. We all yeah. The catch is forever. Yeah, um, it's forever. It's forever. What about the weed game? You've been in it for a long time. Now it's legal. How does that change? Are you getting any partnerships? You have your own brand or anything? Yeah, yeah we got our own brand, the Roofless brand. It's, oh, uh, sick. Yeah, yeah, we got the Roofless brand. It's called uh, Roof. We got Roofless Rents under our, our our umbrella right now. We got this other strand called Roofless GMO. It's a garlic mushroom onion uh, cookie. And uh, yeah, we going to uh, we're gonna launch. Actually, we got a couple weeks. I can't. I want to just put a date on it just yet. But I teamed up with these group these guys called Buddy Buddy Indoor Indoor Natural. And uh, yeah, man, we 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 done put it together. We got our the site. They could uh, check us out on, on IG at Buddy Buddy. Uh, I mean, excuse me, at Roofless Buddy Line. It's RBL, but it stands for Roofless Buddy Line. Mm. Instead of, uh, Roofless by Law. So B U D D Y Line. So, but uh, yeah, we're on Instagram, Roofless Buddy Line. And uh, also, we uh, go Monday. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, uh, a business uh, partner of mine got me to uh, link up with these people out here called Sunset Connect. They did some stuff with San Quinn. They just they got a legacy. It's called a Legends. They got a Legends line, and we about to make a like a blueberry bluebird uh, uh, a flavor that we finna put together, and that should be dropping real soon. So I'll go 
do some taste tests uh, Monday and uh, see what we can work with. So that's in motion. We already got Sick. the packaging packaged up, ready to go. Okay. That's uh, separate from my own Ruthless Buddy line. But, uh, yeah, we're doing joint ventures with a few people. And uh, that's one of them. But Queen Stuff just launched. It's in stores right now. Hmm. It's called, uh, what is it called? I'm, I'm the Queen or something like that. His mm-hmm. line. And, uh, yeah, it's dope. It's actually dope. And they, I think they're finna trying to get with uh, Andre Nicotina, too. They're doing all Legends of Frisco. Might and, makes and, sense. Yeah, it's real dope. Yeah, real dope. Okay. Sunset Connect. Shout out to Sunset Connect for making it happen. So, uh, right over there. So, yeah, they they doing their thing, man. So you're staying busy. Oh, yeah, I'm just been staying busy, man. He's, you know, between me working on my book and, uh, man, I'm actually finished. I'm just proofreading it, going through. Oh, you're putting out a book? Yeah, it's called A Part of Survival. I took the title from my last song on my uh, last album. Uh, I mean, on the first album, it's called A Part of Survival from the Block to the Booth. And um, yeah, just telling about, you know, a lot of stuff we talked about. I go a little more in depth on a lot of things, relationships with the dudes I fell out with on Harbor and the music game, you know, me, how I got in it from the beginning to all the stuff I went through with the Sunnydale Fillmore gang wars, all that. So yeah, yeah I've just got it all in writing, break, broke a lot of stuff down. And I just did a photo shoot for it uh, a week ago. So we we knocking that out, trying to get the cover and the spine done. Sick, uh, Yeah, we're trying to get it out for at least, if not for the 30-year anniversary, a little bit before it. But next year is our 30-year anniversary. But that's kind of far away for me. So we're so far ahead that we might end up just dropping that. And then I might just package up and do a whole nother special edition packaging for the 30 year anniversary. But uh, yeah, I got that done. I'm working on a soundtrack to that uh, for the book. So, but I got an album done right now. It's called Black Caesar and a real dope album. Got like 17 songs on it. Uh, People are going to be shocked on this album, man. I ain't got too many features. I got Larry June on there, Keek the Sneak. Oh. and pretty much that's it as far as known names. Everybody else is just my re- original players that I got on there from Terminator to Motor Hustler from NOH. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it's pretty much all me. You know what I mean? And uh, it's dope, dope, dope. I think it's my best work yet. I think people are going to be real surprised nice. on how I'm coming on this album, man. I'm talking my shit, uh, weed songs, the whole nine. So I'm going to start, I'm trying to figure out a way to start getting stuff out because it's different now i'm used to the last time i was in it in 2012 you kind of package your stuff up get your cds get you a budget get a snipe campaign get posters flyers flats now these dudes kind of leak songs they kind of play snippets on ig and also i'm trying to figure out how to attack it to let people try to hear what i'm working with Mm. you know don't want to waste just any of the music just yet so Yep. But yeah, I'm ready to go. I, I, the album cover, everything, waiting, so. sitting on that. I I'm, I'm, can't wait to start leaking that. And we also got um, a bunch of animated videos we're doing. We're trying to um, bring out all our old music. So we got a Bluebird video I'm sitting on right now, ready to release it. I'm going uh, to get that going probably in another week. It's really dope. Right. So I, I'm trying to bring Mr. C back to life and Hitman through animation. So hmm. I got uh, a dope guy I ran into who's who, man, he, dude, is, is nice, really nice. So we got uh, Bluebird out the way. We're working on A Lesson to Be Learned, and we're working on Remind Me. And then wow. we uh, work on a couple songs from the Hitman Project. But uh, 
yeah, we're not stopping, man. We're going to uh, touch on both of these albums. We're going to drop a lot of animated videos with me and Mr. C. And in the meantime, I'm about to start shooting a couple of my own videos for my solo projects. So I've been staying busy, you know, on top of licensing deals and stuff like that. So wow. this one's letting up. This ain't going to stop. For something like writing a book on the history of your life, which obviously has got a lot of crazy shit, do you need to get a pretty good lawyer to read through it to make sure that, like, you don't, like, I, I imagine telling some of your stories are like, I can't be a rat. And I can't get into jail, uh, but well, I want to tell you what's up. <laughs> now, what I did was I went down and I just put it down raw myself. Uh -huh. I worked with this guy who who grew up over there with me, and he put out about six, seven books. So what we did was we just went in, did everything. That's why what I'm doing now with the proofreading, okay. you know, certain things I don't have to have names, or you know, if it's pertaining to a murder, we just ain't gonna talk about it, or we might refer to it, you know, like Mr. C got killed, but we ain't gonna say who did it and this and that, like snitching. Or yeah. even like when I got shot that day, I know who was out there, who was the guys who was fighting with me out there fighting the Sunnydale dudes. But you just you kind of got to put it in a way where you just only just put, talk, telling your side. You know, I was out there with a few of my partners, a few OGs, and we did this. And so you got to rephrase yeah. it in a different way where you're not just saying, oh, it was me and Tom and Dick and Joe. And we was all like, you know, because they might not want to be in there. It's like, bro, why are you telling everybody I was there in the car with you and so I, I did all that. So it ain't nothing where it's going to be incriminating yeah. or anything like that. So that's why I'm, I cleaned. I went through, cleaned it up. And it's going to be a good read. You know, and, I mean, oh, a lot man. of stuff people already know. Like I said, I'll just go a little more in depth on it. And, 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 and you know, got a little bit more sauce to it. But, yeah, it's, it's all real. And, uh, nah, there's nothing that's going to get nobody sent to jail. We can't do that. And I damn sure can't incriminate myself. So if mm -hmm. it's just pertaining to shootings, yeah, we talk about it, but if it's pertaining to murders and a lot of that, a lot of that stuff we kind of left alone or we kept it short, sweet, maybe mm. spoke on it, but going into details and all that, nah, we're not, we're not doing too much of that. Okay. You know, don't implicate, whether it's an enemy or whether it's somebody we consider a friend or a foe, you know, vice versa. We don't want to have nobody looking crazy up in there. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, well, fuck, dude. Um, really stoked to have you here today like this is a, a bit this is like I've, I've done 130 episodes or something and this is highlight for sure like really stoked on that um we yeah. always end the show with whoever the guest is drop in any song could be yours could be just one you like in general whatever so uh, that's kind of how we can just drop the needle and fucking bounce out of here man that's uh i mean if it's gonna come in later on i'd rather be a part of survival you know, hey, so that's the book title, man. Let's, you know, let's cue that up and get that part of survival up in there, man. And uh, yeah, I, I think that'll be fitting and being that that's going to be the book, you know, that's, that's that's that one, man. Okay, sounds good. Hey, thanks again so much. And uh, yeah, please reach out if there's some shit that you I can help promote. Like I got my finger on the skateboarding pulse and I know everybody loves your shit, so. Man, I need that thrasher box though. My kids would go crazy, man. My little niece, man, she be she she took all my skateboards that I got. I got I got two surviving on my wall right now that <laughs> I had to actually hang up so she can't get to them. But she done, man, she done took everything I got. But she loved it though. Yeah, came back. I'm like, man, what the hell happened to the bottom? She said, they ain't gonna look pretty forever. You know, we 
we be, you know, I guess they do all their little tricks and, and everything, you know, sliding on the bottom of the boards. And I was like, man, <laughs> I'm throw it up. All the stickers I had on the bottom of it, man, she done did her thing. So, hey, well, good talking to you, man. I really appreciate it. For sure, man. Peace. Much love. Can't simp, 
but any hope. And you gotta be real when you're living in Frisco. That's what the HBOG told you. Plus, watch everyone that says they're your home. And if you don't, you might get your cap filled. Cause all this turf shit got niggas acting ill for that girl that you claim that you carry. Watch out, cause you and a nigga might be sharing. So kick back and let my knowledge hit you. Cause if hate don't kill you, love's gonna get you. This shit is real. So keep your ass out the game if you don't know the deal. Niggas keep slipping on their own high. And now they living like tails from the crack side. It's problems that we all face. But have a clear head and keep away from the base. Mind your own, that's how I figured. Shoot first and you won't get smoked by a nigga. A public message to you from Kyle. Sharing a piece or a part of survival. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews in a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmidty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.